Hey, Pioneers, welcome to episode number 310. Today, we are talking about how to preserve eggs at home. Now, if your chickens are anything like mine, they lay crazy through the spring and actually through most of the summer, and you are in an egg glut. So you know what this means if you've been there. It means you have so many eggs, you're looking for all of the egg recipes, you're trying to figure out ways to use up all of these eggs. But if you've had chickens for any amount of time, you also know that once molting happens in the fall, and we have those shorter cold days, that you go into an egg famine. And this usually happens right around the holidays, so Thanksgiving and Christmas, November, December, especially when we're doing a lot of holiday baking and a lot of our baking requires eggs. And it just about kills me if I have to purchase eggs from the store. It is one of my goals in life to not ever have to purchase eggs from the store. But if you've listened to any of my episodes, then you know I'm really big on using safe, and effective methods to preserve food at home. Meaning one that, yes, we're, we're focused on safety. I don't want you to get sick and I don't want to get sick myself. I don't want my family to get sick from using methods that are not safe. But I also want to use methods that we actually enjoy the food in the way that it's been preserved. And then I can use it in things that my family enjoys. So the end product needs to be good as well. So today, we're that's exactly what we're diving into. We're diving into ways to preserve eggs at home, uh, ways that have been successful for us and some tips for you to avoid. And not only my tips and success, but also those with Lisa Steele. So Lisa, you've heard her on the podcast before. She um, is a wonderful resource on raising backyard hens for eggs. Um, and she's Lisa Still from Fresh Eggs Daily. So that should give you give you a little bit of a clue there. So we dive into it. It's a fabulous episode. And today's episode is sponsored by the Abundant Pantry Preserving Eggs course from Homesteading Family. So this course is amazing. Carolyn from Homesteading Family, Carolyn Thomas, she's been on the podcast before with me. And Carolyn in, in real life is actually one of my very best friends. So it's really great having another homesteader as your best friends because we will often chat about different methods and safety and research and just all of all of those things, as you can imagine, being homesteaders. And so Carolyn's is one of the, actually not one of the only, it is the only preserving eggs course that not only am I aware of, but it's one of the only ones that I would actually recommend to you because I trust Carolyn's methods and her research and have went through her course myself. So it's the Abundant Pantry Preserving Eggs, and you can learn how to preserve your farm fresh eggs using easy and practical at-home methods. What's fabulous is you get 10 methods for preserving eggs at home along with their favorite egg recipes ebook. And it includes 10 step-by-step video lessons and you are going to love it. Some of these are really old fashioned methods that are really cool where others are a little bit more modern, but Carolyn has walks you through all of them. So if you have got a glut of eggs, you don't wanna buy eggs in the wintertime and you wanna make sure that those eggs are preserved, go to melissaknorris.com forward slash eggs. 
melissaknorris.com forward slash eggs and snag that resource. Okay, now back to my interview and chat with Lisa. Well, Lisa, welcome back to the Pioneering Today podcast. Hey, Melissa. I am happy to be back again. Yeah, I am really happy to have you back. And for those who are familiar with Lisa, if you listen to her on a previous episode of the podcast, which we'll have linked to in the show notes, because you'll definitely want to check those out. But Lisa is very, very well known. You're like, you are one of my chicken ladies. So if I have got a question or something's going on with my flock that I don't know to, Lisa is always one of the first places that I go and check some of her resources to see if she has have it covered. And more likely than not, you have. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for being a great resource. But one of the things that um, I'm excited for us to talk to today is actually one of the benefits that we get from our chickens, and that's going to be our eggs. And right now, this time of year, like my hens, at the time that we're recording, this is in the springtime, and the hens are back full on egg production after their downtime in the winter, because I don't use a heat lamp, so I don't force them to lay during the winter. They have the winter off. But I have got eggs coming out of my ears, which I'm not quite sure where that, that term comes from that saying, but I have got a lot of eggs. So talking about ways to preserve our eggs for longer storage, because for those of us who don't use a heat lamp or don't try to force our chickens to lay all the way throughout the year, we have that time period where we don't have fresh eggs. And it almost kills me if I have to ever buy eggs from the grocery store. It's my goal in life to not buy eggs from the store. So I know that I need to come up with some some ways so that I do have eggs during that off season when it comes into the fall. So I'm really excited to talk to you about preserving our eggs and kind of getting into some of the questions like how, how long do eggs last, you know, without doing anything when we just get them from the chicken, like how long really are they good for? So let's start with that. How long do eggs actually <laughs> last? Yeah, this is a great topic. I'm excited. It's actually the first time that I've talked about it specifically and I don't, I've sort of written about it roundabout, but not specifically just talking about preserving eggs. But it, it's a great topic because I think a lot of people, when they get into chicken keeping, they don't realize that their chickens are not going to lay consistently throughout the year. So they don't realize that you're going to have this egg drought probably starting in the fall and then lasting through the winter because I also do not eat my coop. I don't light my coop. So my chickens slow down or stop every winter. And then come spring, we have so many eggs said they're coming out of your ears i mean there have been times when i've just thrown them into the compost pile by the dozens because we just can't keep up and that kills me as well you know it's hard i don't want to buy store-bought egg i have too many sometimes during the year and i don't have enough so you want to do something to sort of even that out so it's a more even flow i guess throughout the year i'd say um but the easiest way to do that like you said is they're fresh eggs if you don't wash them they're going to last longer than if you do wash them and they shouldn't be super dirty. You know, so if you can go without washing those eggs after you collect them, they're going to last for two or three weeks just out on your counter at room temperature. And if you refrigerate them, they're going to last seven times longer. So you're talking three, four, five months, something like that for a fresh unwashed egg in the refrigerator. Oh, wow. I don't think I've ever kept mine in the fridge that long just because we usually have gone through them. Um, before then. So I, I knew that they would last on the counter for a few weeks. 
I don't think I realized they would be good mm -hmm. quite that long in the fridge. That's actually a really long time. So if you were to save the eggs that you get right at the beginning of fall, I usually mine, I'll, they really start to slow down in October, but I'll still usually get some fresh eggs through November. And then it's usually mm -hmm. mid November that it's kind of a hard cutoff. And then I don't get any more until about the end of February, they'll start to, to begin to lay again. So it's kind of like right at the main baking time, like right around the holidays. Right. That they stop. But if you, if you are keeping an eye on that and thinking about that, so then all of the eggs that you're collecting, say in September, when they're still laying pretty good, at least mine are, and you're not washing them and you're putting them in the fridge. I mean, those would take you through almost, if you can get enough, um, almost through until they would start laying again. They really will. And if you put them in cartons and mark the date on them, just so you have some idea of how old they are. I'm really bad though, because I always tend to use the ones I just collected that day, <laughs> you know, instead <laughs> of putting those away and going back to the older ones. But especially if you're just baking with them, um, you know, when you're not doing something like poaching or, or frying them where you really want them to be nice and fresh. Yeah, they'll last a, a lot longer, I think, than people realize. And it's, it's pretty clear when they've gone bad too. So for the older eggs, I would always say crack it into a small bowl. You know, don't crack it right into your cake batter. Um, yes. But as soon as you crack that egg, you're going to be able to see and smell that it has gone bad. So there's no question about it. So as long as it still looks fine and, and smells fine, they're, they're probably going to be good, especially if you're cooking them fully. You know, I might not use older eggs for eggnog or mayonnaise or something like that. That you'd probably want to use your freshest because you're not cooking the eggs. You know, so the older eggs have more chance of having salmonella or bacteria that's grown in them for that four or five months that they are in the fridge. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's funny as I was thinking back, I think I've only ever had actually one egg that I have cracked open that has been rotten. And I can't even remember how long we've had chicken now. I mean, it's been close to at least a decade. So it mm -hmm. is very infrequent. Um, one of the things, though, so this is what I've been doing, and I'm just kind of curious on, on your practice. So when I do have some of the eggs that get a little bit dirtier, either, you know, one of the hens decided to lay it outside and it, you know, got muddy or dirty rather than in the nesting box, or quite honestly, if I am not being diligent in keeping the nesting box clean, because let's, let, I'll be honest, I don't always stay on top of it as much as I should. So sometimes I will get some eggs that are dirty and it's, you know, either mm -hmm. mud or it's a mixture of chicken poop. So what I usually will do is I will not wash them when they first come in, unless, I mean, they're like so gross that you're like, there's just no way I can even have this in my kitchen without touching it. Right. So, you know, so kind of moderate dirty, let's say. Um, what I do is I still will put those in a carton and in the fridge, but then I wash them just right before I use them rather than wash them and remove the bloom and then store them in the fridge. And I don't know if that's a personal preference or do you have any thoughts? on that as far as best practice? I, I mean, that, that's the smartest thing to do as far as preserving the integrity of the freshness of the egg. I guess everyone has a different comfort level of, you know, what they'll put in their fridge. Yeah. Same thing, you know, during mud season, there's a lot of mud in the eggs. I use the wood ash from our wood stove in their dust bath all winter. So there's a lot of charcoal <laughs> that ends up on feet and then into the egg boxes and that. So, you know, it's not always poop that's on the egg. It can be a bunch of different things. Um, but yeah, you could, I mean, if you don't want to even want to put them in your fridge, you could put those into either egg cartons or a box or something and leave them in your mudroom or a garage or somewhere where it's cooler, where they're not going to freeze, but it's sort of like refrigerating them. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and some of them, like our duck egg, I just have to wash right away because 
I think the ducks play soccer with their eggs after they lay them. So <laughs> those are not going in the fridge. Um, but those I do rinse in warm water and then I refrigerate them. And then you do want to use those sooner than the eggs that haven't been washed. But yeah, the longer you can put off washing that egg, the better. You know, even if you sell the eggs, as long as you're letting the people know that you're selling to, that they have to rinse them off before they use them. And then if you haven't refrigerated them and sell them and let them know, they don't even have to refrigerate them if they don't want to. Okay. Now, we've been talking about farm fresh eggs, but if someone's like, well, I don't have access to farm fresh eggs, I don't have chickens yet, and they're like, maybe there's a really good deal on eggs at the supermarket. You know, I'm buying my eggs, but maybe they're having a, a really good sell. And so they're like, oh, well, or they're trying to avoid maybe going to the stores often. So they're like, I'm just going to stock up on eggs and, and try and preserve some of these eggs. But they're using eggs that do have the bloom removed. So they have been washed or it may even be their farm fresh ones like we've discussed and they're not comfortable leaving them dirty. So they want to wash them. Um, that does shorten the shelf life some. And doesn't it? I mean, that's always it, been my understanding. Yeah, okay. it does. And I don't know. I'm sure somewhere, it, it, you know, there's studies exactly how long it shortens it. But by removing that bloom, which commercial eggs have to, they have to be washed in order to be sold commercially. You know, you're, you're removing that bloom, which is letting both air and bacteria into the egg. So not only is the egg not going to be as fresh, but there's more chance that it'll be contaminated with something. Um, the other thing is when you buy eggs at the grocery store, you know, they're not just hours old. They could already be a couple of weeks old by the time you even buy them. So, you know, you're already starting at like three or four weeks old. So that's another thing to keep in mind as well, that, you know, fresh eggs are definitely different than store-bought eggs. I would not recommend really stockpiling store-bought eggs. Okay. I wouldn't either, but I was just kind of, I was curious if, if <laughs> what your thought was too. And then this has been, especially with when we did used to buy store-bought eggs, like I said, it's been a number of years now since we've had to do that, which I'm very grateful to my hands for. Right. Um, but, and we've also, we're talking about like, you know, as you get towards the end of that shelf life of a, a storing our own eggs in the fridge, et cetera. And we talked about putting it into a bowl just to make sure. Um, now I use the float test where I'll put mm -hmm. water in a bowl and float the egg or put the eggs in. If they float, then I know that it's, it's bad. Um, is there any other test other than that that you can tell before actually op cracking open the egg? Yeah, there actually is. And actually, to, to clarify, when an egg floats, it's not necessarily bad. I mean, it, it probably is still edible, but it's really, really, really old. So, you know, I err on the side of caution. I toss the floaters just because I feel like they've been around for way, way too long. Um, and I've tested eggs and you know, let them sit and then whatever. And by the time they are floating, they're going to be really, really old. And even after about a month, that egg is still going to be probably on the, sitting on the bottom, but standing straight up. You know, it won't be laying on the bottom, but it'll be still touching the bottom of the glass. So when it does start to float, you're, you're talking probably months old. Um, so it is best to toss those. But, you know, if you're desperate, there's a chance it could be good. But yeah, also, if so, if you don't want to do that, you can actually just hold an egg up to your ear and shake it. And if you can hear things sloshing around inside, that means that air has gotten into the egg because as the egg ages, air gets in through the pores and enough air has gotten in that it's, you know, the moisture from the egg has gotten out. So if you can hear sloshing, that means that the egg is pretty old. Oh, I have not, I have not ever heard of that method, but mm -hmm. I like that because sometimes, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to fill up the whole thing with water. And then once I know why I put the egg in the water, 
then I have removed the bloom. So that's one of the things I usually don't test until I'm like, really like, oh man, like these are getting to the point where I better test them because I know they've been in here a while. So, okay. I really like the shake test one. Mm -hmm. Um, The more splashing, the older. So, you know, if you just barely, like if you shake the egg and nothing moves around, it's really fresh. And if you kind of just barely get a little movement, you know, it's a little bit old, but if you really hear stuff splashing around, (laughs) I would definitely consider that an egg to be used right away or, you know, to be tossed. But yeah, that's, that's a clever little trick that you can use without actually putting the egg in the water. Cause you're right. I hate doing that too, because once you've floated it, now your bloom is gone and you're like, Oh, I just wasted a perfectly good egg on the float. test. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, that's a great one to have in our pocket then for testing. And then when it does come to, because sometimes for us uh, with the preserving the eggs to take us through those winter months when they're not laying, I honestly only have so much room in my refrigerator to store the eggs, even if they will store for those months. And so um, really, as far as the preserving methods go that I have personally used is I have only froze my eggs. And Mm -hmm. I learned the hard way the first year that I did it. And of course, I did it for, uh, you know, uh, for scrambled eggs and or for baking, but not, you know, like for frying. But the first year I did it. I did not incorporate the yolk into the white. Like I literally just cracked the egg into a, a silicone muffin uh, tin mm-hmm. or lined tin and flash froze them that way solid and then popped them out and put them in bags. And then later, well, I learned the hard way that once it had thawed and I tried to incorporate it into a cake that the yolks would never incorporate. And even though I was beating it with my KitchenAid mixer, and they left like these little like rubbery, weird texture pieces. <laughs> and so I was really disappointed because I had frozen quite a few. Um, and so the next time I did it, I will whip, I whip, and that's what I do now. But I'm curious to see if you have any uh, other, other tricks um, for the freezing part. And so I whip it together so that the yolk, when I'm cracking it into my little silicone lined tins, is incorporated with the white. And then I freeze it. And then once it's thawed, because it's already, you know, it was whipped to begin with, I don't get that rubbery, weird, like, it was almost like it was uncooked, but it was then like kind of like a rubber ball. It was very odd. It was very irritated. Um, but that seems to have solved that for me. Um, so when it comes to freezing eggs, do you have any other uh, tips or things that you've noticed along those lines to share with people? I do. I also whisk them, you know, just whisk them to combine them. And then if you add a tiny bit of salt, that also helps with the texture when you ultimately oh. defrost it. And whether you're going to be baking or cooking, most baking recipes do include salt as well. So adding a little bit of salt is not going to change your recipe. But yeah, just a touch of salt into the whisked eggs. You can also freeze just the whites, which is really great if you're going to be making meringues or something like that. You don't need to put the white, the salt into the whites, obviously, because they were not the problem. It was the yolks. And you also can just freeze just yolks. But again, I would you know, whisk all the yolks together, put a little salt and then freeze them. And that should really help with the texture. Okay. I'm going to try the salt trick. I hadn't tried the salt. Um, and so that is a really great tip. So you're just kind of just sprinkling a little bit per egg. It's not like a certain ratio that needs no, to you're not happen. putting in like okay. tablespoons. I would just sprinkle, you know, whisk up, you know, eight, 10, 12, a dozen eggs or whatever. And then there's a little sprinkle of salt over them. It should be enough, but you're right. Whisking them. Cause I too had tried just plopping an egg into the you know, silicone thing and freezing them like that. And once they defrost, I was like, I don't know what to do with this thing. <laughs> I, was, 
I was stubborn. And so I'm like, I'm going to beat, like I tried it again. I'm, yeah, sometimes my stubbornness is, is not to a benefit. Other times it is. And so I'm like, okay, I just didn't beat it long enough. So I'm going to put like the whisk attachment on the KitchenAid. I'm going to beat these eggs into submission before I add them into the dry goods this time. Yeah, it still didn't didn't work once they had been frozen and thawed without the prior right. import. Right. So, okay. No, the, the definitely works. And an egg is about three tablespoons. You know, so if you do defrost, you know, a few cubes and you're not sure exactly, just measure it out by tablespoon for however many eggs the uh, recipe calls for. And um, they last, the whites alone will last frozen probably for a year. The yolks or, you know, the entire egg whisk, you're probably good for six months at least frozen. So that should definitely take you through the fall winter period of no egg production. Okay, perfect. And so three tablespoons will equal out to be one egg in a cooking recipe than if you've frozen Correct. them. Okay. Right. I've always just frozen mine individually um, so that I knew like yeah, when I, I was too. popping it out. Yeah, but that's really good in case you are doing them in more of like a bulk container and not the individual to know that ratio. Or I know people do them like in cupcakes. Like I do them in the, the ice cube um, trays, which is just about three tablespoons. It's a little shy. Okay. Of, um, but I've seen people freeze them in cupcake tins and I'm thinking... Yeah, <laughs> when you defrost that cupcake tin full of egg, that's probably, I don't know, two eggs, three eggs. I don't know, you know. Yeah, I if it's all the way full, it's going to be more than one egg because I do use mm -hmm. silicone liner, but I just do one egg and then I, you know, whip it, Her. pour it in there. Right. And it's a little, I think it's a little bit, well, it's probably like around half. So I would say if they're filling it to the brim, it's probably about two eggs worth. Two eggs, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, of course, so that's, that's obviously if we're talking about freezing and I've had people ask me this before, like, can you freeze the egg whole, just like raw and kind of the same, I'm like, no, that's not, it's not going to work well, mm -mm. but there are some other methods where I have seen people using to prolong and preserve their eggs. Um, now we talked about using salt within freezing to help with mm -hmm. the yolks, um, but can you actually salt pure eggs themselves just using salt as the preservation method i think be very yeah. salty after, but yeah i tried that uh not a huge fan of it so it's salt cured egg yolks and what you do is you um take a, a bunch i mean it takes a ton of salt you, you put salt in a baking uh pan basically and then you uh take your yolks you separate your yolks and you kind of nestle them into the salt cover them up and you let them sit and dry for like days and days and days or you can put them in a low oven and then you brush all the salt off, you let them dry even more. And they come out to be this weird texture that you can then grate. And people claim that it tastes like cheddar cheese or Parmesan cheese. Oh. Um, I find that they were way too salty for me. Plus, it was like a ton of work and a ton of salt. And I did not find that to be super economical or efficient. And I couldn't really understand the whole purpose of that. So that, that sort of was like a fail in my book. Okay, very interesting. I think too is sometimes some of those, you know, older ways of preserving were when they, we didn't have some of the options that we have now. And so sometimes I think it's uh, the taste, you know, it was something if you had it as a, as a child and you were very used to it, um, you know, then, then you enjoyed it or, you know, whatnot. But now if we haven't had it until much later in life, it's not something that we really find palatable. Um, right. And why am I going to turn eggs into like fake cheese when I can just go buy a block of cheddar cheese? Like that whole thing just didn't even make sense to me. Like I'm trying to preserve the eggs. So I have eggs, you know, for, yeah. for baking or whatever, not so I can turn my eggs into fake cheese. It was weird. <laughs> it was very right. weird. 
Yeah. Well, you're right. There, um, yeah. there would be no way that you would be able to use that for baking because the texture and the, the salt, I mean, it would be too salty to even incorporate in with sugar and other things if you were using it for baking. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was bad. Yeah. There's another method. Uh, it's a French preserving method that I did actually try a couple of years ago where you take your eggs unwashed, fresh, you know, and you melt beeswax and you dip them into beeswax, you know, so they're completely oh. covered. Once that dries, you then bury them in like a big bucket of salt, um, you know, so the eggs aren't touching and you put them in layers. And, but again, a ton of salt, like tons and tons of salt. They're supposed to last for like up to two years that way. We ended up moving in that period and I didn't feel like bringing my huge five pound barrel of <laughs> cured eggs. So I actually tossed them when we moved. Um, so I did not wait the two years to see if they actually were good after that. Um, but that was kind of an interesting because you're you're preserving them just raw, you know, as is. And theoretically, you should be able to dig them out of the salt, crack them open and have an egg. So that's one I probably would try again, maybe. Yeah. So that's fascinating. Okay. So you're dipping them in beeswax, which I get, it's an additional coating on top of the bloom. So it's going to seal, mm -hmm. it's going to seal any bacteria out like at that part. And then the salt is like an added measure, I'm assuming, because the salt is going to inhibit bacteria from being able to live in that environment. If there were any bacteria present, I'm assuming that's kind of the general purpose of how that's working. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, now that, now that I mentioned that, I probably should try that again. Like maybe just do like two in a mason jar. Like I don't need to do yeah. you know, 14 dozen eggs in a five gallon container. Um, there's a similar method to, that uses, I believe, mineral oil, where you just kind of put mineral oil on the outside of the eggs and they last. And again, you're, you're making an additional layer on top of the bloom. But I don't know, I didn't really want mineral oil on my food. I mean, because egg shells are porous. So yeah. anything you put on them, you know, is is going to be right next to the egg that you're going to be eating. Um, but that's yeah, something that I've heard of people do. Of, of people do. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't use mineral. I don't use mineral oil or petroleum based products in the kitchen. Right. I don't use it on my butcher block. I don't use it on any of our wood stuff. I on your body. Just, I don't I don't use. Yeah, no, we say. Yeah, no, same here. Yeah, I, I say pretty far. I mean, it, it's it's a byproduct of oil. I don't care how many times you process it. You can't change what it is in my opinion um, but that's a whole other soapbox that's a whole other episode yeah. <laughs> yeah so i'm i'm with you on on that i have heard of i have heard of that method too but i was with you when it was with mineral oil i'm like ah eh, i don't i don't think so there's too many other ways that that we can go about doing this to have eggs um exactly and then yeah and then i'm i think i'm going to test though the beeswax one like you said just doing it on a small but part of it's just the geek in me that wants to see does it work? And can it really last for two years just, right. just doing this? And then at the end of the two years, if it, you break it open and it's not obviously not bad, like, what is the flavor like? Like, yeah, mm -hmm. I think I'm going to have to, we'll have to do this and we can compare notes. This would be really fun right. to come back in a couple of years. Right. And be like, oh, we did it. Yeah. Here's, here's here's <laughs> I mean, yeah. part of me is saying though, like, why would you ever need to preserve an egg for two years? Because my chickens are going to start laying again in two months. Like, I, I don't True. understand it either. There's another um, where you do it in like pickling lime, I guess, uh, and water. Is, it, is, that called, is that the water glass method? Yeah, um, it's called water glassing. And I have not done it. Um, and I do, though, uh, Carolyn Thomas from Homesteading Family, who is a good friend of mine, she uses it. Uh, they have a really large family. And so that she does and preserves their eggs that way um, up for, I think she's tested it up to a year 
um, wow. is how long they've done it. And she really likes it and has had really good success with it. What's interesting is from a food preserving standpoint, because I, you know, with, with canning and all of my home food preservation, I want to know the science behind it and to make sure that we're using practices that, you know, that are safe. Nobody wants to make their family sick. Um, right. Or kill them. That would be horrible. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. With canning in, in a fear of botulism. <laughs> but um, what's interesting is with some of these really old timey, almost folk method ways of home food preservation, and especially with using the water glass and, and the lime and that with preserving the eggs, there's just really not been any research done on it to say um, that it is, you know, like we do have that research with science with canning. Like we know that right. this is the reason that we're going to be doing this with canning. Um, but they haven't really done any updated. So as far as I, when I looked into it from the research, just because I was curious what I could find, um, I haven't been able to find anything that says, oh, this is unsafe. Um, and, but they haven't done any studies that are like, oh, yes, this is absolutely fine. So you kind of just have using, you know, what, you know, your own research and, and common sense, which home centers have common sense. I'm so grateful for that. Um, you know, and and then and moving forth with forth with it. But yeah, Carolyn's had really good luck with it and, and kept some up to a year um, with that method. And so I don't personally I don't personally use that method. I don't really have anywhere to store it as part of my problem. We have we don't have any guest rooms and I don't have a garage. I don't have a basement like I, I really have nowhere to store the eggs, even in a large bucket or container that right. I, that that they would be safe, that they wouldn't get knocked over. I just don't have the room. So I haven't haven't tried it. And plus using the freezing and then the fridge with my family size has carried us through until they start laying again. So I haven't really had the need to do that. But if someone is interested in that, um, we'll have some resources and, and whatnot in the show notes um, okay. on that. Yeah, I think, but, I think it's pretty common among the homesteaders. But like you, I kind of worry about eggs where, I mean, we know where they come from, right? So <laughs> they're coming from a fairly you know, bacteria laden uh, place, let's put it that way. Um, and as far as I know, you're not supposed to wash them, right? So you're not really washing off any bacteria and, you know, salmonella always can be an issue too. And I'm just wondering, like, does that environment, I guess it would, it would kill any bacteria, you know, cause it is the pickling lime, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really want to like, you know, die from eating an egg that I shouldn't, <laughs> that would be like so ironic and awful. Yeah, you know, and it, it, again, it, you know, with using any of those, it would be, you know, if it was as a worry of, you know, salmonella or E. coli or something like that, like you said, and even with storing the eggs as they get older, it's where you're going to be making sure they're in a recipe where they're fully cooked, you know, they're reaching the temperatures that will kill, you know, wouldn't be exactly where I would do an, an fried egg or egg over easy or sunny side up or, or you know, or, or raw and different recipes like that. I think in some instances that some families really do uh, find it very useful. I think it's just mm -hmm. going to depend on, on each individual family, but it is an option. Um, right. And then, which we were talking about kind of using the, the lime um, and kind of talking about pickled, but it's a way of preserving it, but it's not really truly a pickled egg, but you can technically actually pickle eggs as well. Um, and that's, you know, a condiment, like I'm sure, you know, pickled eggs in certain cultures are, are, are like a favorite food. Yeah, that's fun. I've done that. A lot of, you know, you'll see the recipes like pickled in beet juice. Um, it's just basically a vinegar based, you know, pickling brine with whatever you want, salt, sugar, you know, cinnamon sticks or black pepper, or, you know, you can do whatever you, I suppose you could just save your, your pickled beet juice and throw the eggs in the jar once the 
the beets are gone. Um, but I've always done like they're not true canned. I mean, I keep them in the no. refrigerator. Yes, you know, correct. so um, I you know I put them in the pickling whatever I'm going to use for my pickling juice. Make sure they're submerged. They are hard boiled eggs, and then I you know I would feel safe probably in the fridge maybe like three or four months I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I don't can, so I don't. I'm not really yeah. up on like how yeah, long this stuff lasts. But right, and with pickling eggs specifically, you cannot can them. Um, they actually have done scientific tests uh, when people have tried to can pickled like eggs. Water bath. Can yeah, you mean? Okay. correct. Yeah, where they've tried to can them doing a water bath method and then trying to store them on an open sh on a shelf, right? Mm -hmm. Not in a refrigerated environment. And they did test pos positive for botulism. So pickling, right. right. So pickling eggs are like you said, it's fine to pickle them in a vinegar mixture, but because the egg is so dense, the pickling brine can't get all the way through the egg into the center in order to make the egg acidic enough to inhibit botulism growth because it would it needs to be 4.6 pH or lower, meaning more acidic, right? The, the right. lower the number, the more acidic it is. And because of the density of the egg, the vinegar can't penetrate all the way through in order to get that acidity level down then to make it a shelf-stable product. So putting it in the fridge, however, is exactly how you should be storing when you are doing mm -hmm. your pickled eggs and that is very safe but it definitely is something that needs to go into the refrigerator uh not sitting out on just the shelf or the counter right yeah and that's again i mean that's not saving eggs for baking or whatever they're they're hard boiled and now they're pickled but at least it's another way to use up some of these eggs that you know and then you can turn them into deviled eggs you know pickled eggs are like make really delicious deviled eggs um but that's about all you can do with them yeah, and I think straight from the jar. Yeah, and I think they'd be really good actually. Like, I love pickled beets on a green salad, and mm -hmm. so I think they would be fabulous on like in a green, like as a green salad, sliced yeah. and or yeah, diced up and, and throw it on there. So, right. yeah. Now I have not done any type of dehydrating with eggs yet. I actually have a freeze dryer coming. Um, but I don't have it set up yet. So have you done any type of dehydrating work with eggs at all? I haven't. No, I don't have a, a dehydrator or anything. I have not. Because again, like I feel like when I want to save my eggs, I'm specifically usually saving them for holiday baking. So, you know, so I need to be saving those eggs in a form that I can then bake with them, which like you, it's basically freezing them is you know, what I do and not washing them and refrigerating them and just trying to save them as is, you know, all the preserving methods seem to kind of like change the egg a little bit. So you can still eat them in a certain way, but you're not going to be baking cookies with them, which is basically when I'm cursing my chicken for not laying eggs at Christmas. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Christmas <laughs> is the time when I'm needing them. But yes, that's when I go through the absolute most eggs um, is at Christmas time. And so I always feel like if I can get through past the Christmas baking and still have some of my own eggs left in the fridge, I feel like it is a major victory. In fact, that's been my goal. Um, last year I did it. Uh, part of it was because I had frozen enough eggs the correct way mm -hmm. to be able to use them. But it was the first baking season that I made it through without having to buy any eggs from the store. And it felt like such a major nice. I was that's so proud of myself. Win. Yeah, I was very, yeah. I refuse to buy eggs. I mean, I have to resort to like scones and shortbread. Like when I run out of eggs, I'm like, okay, everyone's getting shortbread because that's the only recipe I have that doesn't use eggs. Um, 
which is good. I mean, it's good to have some, and then pies, you know, you can always bake like berry pies without eggs. So you have to have like your, your non-egg dessert roundup as well. Um, and then we just eat oatmeal for the rest of the winter until the chickens start laying again. So, you know, I, I treat them sort of like a seasonal crop, you know, like any other, you know, when we have tomatoes in the summer, I just eat tomato sandwiches every day for lunch. You know, when we have a lot of eggs, we eat a lot of eggs. When we don't have a lot of eggs, we eat oatmeal. Yes. And I love that thinking of them as a seasonal crop and trying to use them in that manner. And I, I've noticed too, with a lot of foods that when I do treat them as very seasonal, that it feels like they're that much more special. And that when I actually get to have that dish, cause I can't just have it any time of the year uh, that it just tastes that much better. Yeah. And a lot of the seasonal, I think that, or maybe it's just me, but I feel like the seasonal foods, like, like, you know, new potatoes and asparagus and lemon, like things that come due at the same time sort of seem to go together too. You know, so you, yeah. like you've got your crop and you look at it and like you've got your green salad, you know, season where you've got your tomatoes and all your leafy greens and this and that. And then in the fall, you know, you've got your, um, I don't know, the things that you leave in the ground a little bit longer, like your parsnips or, um, you know, your Brussels sprouts and, and kale and all that. And like, that's what you feel like eating at that time of year. You know, like, I don't really feel like eating whatever, you know, in, in the different, I, I love, I love the season. Let's put it that way. I love New England because the seasons match up to the food of the season and the holidays and what's coming you know, right, being ripe or abundant at that time. I don't know. It just feels right. Like you said, to eat what you should be eating during the right season. Yes. And I think too, as a, as a gardener and a homesteader, I think that we're more attuned to that uh, in a, actually a really special way in comparison to mm -hmm. if you are just going and buying stuff at the grocery store where you really do have the ability. I mean, most of us live in a day and time where we can almost get any ingredient that we want from the grocery store any time of year it might not be you know the best flavor or best you know as it is when it's grown locally but you can technically almost get anything that you want right all year round um so but I, it does make a difference because they're not you know like if you're trying to make strawberry shortcake and it's not really strawberry oh, season they're, they're not gonna be good you know yeah. I, I actually we grow rhubarb and i love making strawberry rhubarb pies and i always freeze yeah. Some rhubarb because we just get so much but like by the end i'm just like harvesting it like crazy and that rhubarb just sits in the freezer because i have no desire to make a strawberry rhubarb pie in the middle of the winter you know it's like i only want to make it when it's rhubarb season and so now everything that's in the freezer i'll probably just end up composting because you know our rhubarb is coming up again now i want to think about making pies with my fresh rhubarb you know so preserving and all that is great obviously but i prefer more to just like eat in the season, you know, so we eat a lot of squash, we eat a lot of, you know, that kind of stuff in the winter when we don't have the fresh stuff out of the garden. Yeah, I kind of do a mixture. Like I, we definitely, I preserve and put up like the rhubarb and, you know, I do different pie fillings and stuff, but there is something special about eating what is in season at that time. And I tend to eat more of it at that time than I do other times, but I will like make a, a strawberry rhubarb. I find it, especially around the holidays, like I love to, mm -hmm. to pull out and to do some of those things then. Um, but you're right on the strawberries, like oh, for years, I would, and even when it's supposedly in season, like you'd see the very first strawberries would come up. We live in Washington state. And so you'd see the very first strawberries would start to come out on the, on the store shelves and they would be from California and they would be sending them up and they would look, you know, gorgeously beautiful strawberries. And so every spring I would do this, I would buy them 
because none of the local berries were on yet. And I'm like, oh, I want strawberries. And every single year, I don't care how much sugar I would put on them. They're just flavorless. <laughs> and so I finally learned my lesson. It took me, again, that stubborn feature. It took me a little bit. But I, I mean, now I have my own strawberries, so I don't even bother. But yeah, it, it's such a disappointment oftentimes on the flavor when you're not getting it in season, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. 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 And local. I mean, local makes such a big difference. Our grocery store actually puts signs on the different produce to let us know if it's been grown by a local farm, which I absolutely love because I want to eat a cucumber that was grown in Maine, not, you know, like some foreign country and shipped here on a boat, you know, because I know it's going to be fresher and, and all that. So, yeah. And it, yeah, so much more flavor. Um, but we've been talking a lot about obviously preserving the eggs in different methods so that we have them available to actually bake and cook with. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that you do a lot of that because I have seen on Instagram where you have been sharing a lot of your recipes and whatnot that you've been working on because you are working on an actual egg cookbook. Am I right? You are right. I am. Yes, it was my, like you, I'm a type A and I get bored really quickly. And I don't know if I would have survived COVID if I hadn't been working on this book because being stuck at home with nowhere to go you know, it gave me something to focus on, something positive. And I have just had a blast recipe testing and narrowing down and coming up with the, you know, hundred or so egg recipes to be included in the book. Um, I'm just so excited about it. Yeah, which is really great because I have to say too, at the springtime, at the time that we're recording this, when I do have this egg glut, you know, I am looking at some ways like, okay, so how can I preserve some of these to to take me through into fall? But on the other hand, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got so many eggs and I have like my standby recipes, but I'm like, I need some new recipes that feature Mm -hmm. using eggs because I need to use these babies up. So I think it's a really cool that you're going to have an entire cookbook and egg is is a feature in all of the recipes. It's funny because when I was, you know, pitching the book, I hired an agent and, you know, pitched to him and he loved the idea. And then he started pitching to the publishing houses and a few of them said, well, can you come up with a hundred egg recipes? I was like, are you kidding me? I have <laughs> folders and folders. My mom, like, cause we have the chickens. She, I swear, saves every recipe she sees in a magazine that uses eggs and she mails them to me periodically. So oh, I have how sweet. so many recipes, you know, and she'll put a little note on it. You're like, this looks interesting or whatever, you know? Um, oh yeah. I had no problem. In fact, I had to cut down the number of recipes. It's, it's sweet and savory, which I love because eggs are one of the few ingredients that really do lend themselves you know to both sweet and savory and eggs are almost even like two different ingredients because a yolk is going to be used completely different than a white you know sometimes you use the whole egg sometimes you just use the yolk sometimes you just use the white you know for different reasons because of their different properties and what they do to in a recipe which i think is so cool you know and and you being geeky like that like all these little egg facts and things that i find so fascinating just you know the science of the egg and what's inside the egg and all the different things I, I I don't know I find it fascinating and I hope other people do too yeah I I think if you're a homesteader to chicken keep keeper that you do in fact I think homesteading in general I think that you have a quest for knowledge and learning things that is never satisfied uh, because that's one of the reasons that you start looking like if you want to do things yourself I think you have to have a love of learning um mm-hmm or you're not, you're not going to last very long, I should say, if you don't. So yeah, I'm really excited. So the book doesn't come out for a little bit yet though, right? When does it actually release? Yeah. Yes, it's coming out February 15th, 2022. 
which oh, sounds like it. forever, but it's less than a year now, which is super exciting. We're getting there. <laughs> yes, it is less than a year. It's so funny. I love that you have the exact date too. Not, it's not February 2020. It's February 15th. Um, yeah, we're, we're very 15th. much alike. Yes. Well, book release days are always on Tuesdays. So, um, you know, a book can only come out on a Tuesday. So it's going to be the day after Valentine's Day. Um, and I think it's perfect timing because it'll be spring when everybody just starts getting lots of eggs and starts wondering and all the new chicken keepers from, you know, last year, from this year, probably the first time in their lives, they've had too many eggs, then they know what to do with. So it, it's, it's just been, oh, it's been such a different experience than writing my chicken books. You know, it, it, it's, I've just really enjoyed it. Let's put it oh, that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm really excited. I can't wait till it comes out because like I said, I'm always always on the look for, I never have enough egg recipes, it feels like, or especially good mm -hmm. egg recipes, because that's one of the things that the internet is wonderful in the aspect that we have everything at our fingertips, but it is <laughs> the discerning part and being able to find reliable things is where it can get a little bit hard. So I'm, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to the book coming out. Yeah, I agree with you. I've, I've been disappointed with so many recipes I've just grabbed, you know, off random sources on the internet and you know it's discouraging because ingredients cost money and then you don't have dinner or your dessert or whatever so I mean the, the amount of testing and editing and now we're in the photo uh, process and I was in Connecticut last week I'm going back in next week and they're taking you know all the photos for the book and just to see someone else make my recipe and then have them just like plate it beautifully and garnish it and I'm like is that really my recipe I mean it they just look so beautiful and so delicious and like I'm getting excited about them and I've made them a million times, you know? <laughs> yes. Food photography is an art all on its own. And it is really amazing what they, what they can do just knowing how, like you said, the presentation, like how to play it, like, you know, it's good. Um, but especially when it's in like a cookbook format where someone's not walking into your home and they don't get the benefit of getting to smell it, you know, the, all they're able to do is, mm -hmm. is use their eyes as the sense um, and being, yeah, having that photographed um, by someone who really knows what they're doing. And I like to think that I'm an okay food photographer, but then when I see someone who that is like their real profession doing it, I'm like, oh yeah, they're way better than me. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's, it's kind of embarrassing because just to organize myself, I have folders on my computer. And when I finish each recipe, I put it in there and I'd snap a picture just for myself. So I could kind of see, you know, how the chapters were laying out or how things looked and, you know, remind myself of what each recipe actually was. And they printed them out and they put them up. Like at the start of each day, they would put up the eight or 10 recipes that we were going to be making that day. My photos of them, like big on the fridge. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> and then like, they, you know, they would, do their version and I would compare and be like oh my goodness I like you I, I I thought I was a fairly decent photographer like I wasn't just snapping a gross picture like I had a background and I put a tea towel like I'd, I tried to like pretend I was you know a food photographer food stylist yes. yes oh no 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 when you hire professionals um and this team has worked with Ina Garten they've worked with Giada Rachel Ray Oprah Maria Batelli they've done cookbooks for all of them so I was really intimidated because like they're taking my recipes and making them and I just have I had nightmares like leading up to the photo shoot that none of the recipes worked and like what the heck was I going to do if they just made recipe after recipe and none of them were working and it was just awful but so far we've gone through like 38 recipes and every single one has been great so I'm like that's a relief oh that's awesome. yeah 
It, it, yeah, when you're when you've done a cookbook and like neither of us are trained professional chefs or bakers or nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're just, you know, we're just people who have a lot of eggs. Yeah, we have a lot of eggs and we like to cook from scratch. And I like to eat good. I like to eat food mm-hmm. that tastes good. Like, I'll be real. Like, I love the health benefits of homegrown and home raised and yeah, and all of that. But I'm a foodie at heart. Like, I just want to eat food that tastes good and is also good for me. So, um, but it is when you have a cookbook and it comes out, like, I totally understand what you're saying. Because even when like my book, The Made from Scratch Life and Handmade came out, even though I had tested the recipes, you know, multiple times in different ways and all these things, mm-hmm. knowing that other people are making them, you do, you have this fear like, oh, what if they don't turn out well for them? And so I totally understand where you're, where you're coming from. And it is, it's such a relief when, when you start getting feedback, like you're visibly getting to see it by these people who have, have done recipes by all of these, you know, famous chefs and whatnot, or even, and then readers start to be like, oh, like I made that, like, look at this, like, I love this, or it's our new family favorite. Like, yeah, it's it's an odd feeling, but it's such a good one. But there is that fear in the beginning. So sure. nerve wracking. I was I was really, really terrified. But like when they would finally finish with, you know, and a lot of things are made in advance, you know, so uh, like I have whoopie pies in there. They had made the whoopie pies like four days before they made the filling. So by the time they actually made them and took the photo, it was all stale and we couldn't eat them. But a lot of things were made on the spot and photographs and people were standing around waiting, wanting a bite of whatever it was. because It looked so good. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is like. This is amazing. I mean, it's just such a great, great feeling. And I mean, I'm sure, as we all know, you know, there's going to be the people who are like, you know, I subbed in brown rice for white and I didn't cook it as long and I didn't have cilantro. So I used parsley and I only made two servings instead of four. And the recipe was awful and didn't work. And I'll be like, well, you know, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but hopefully those will be few and far between. And, you know, people will start making them and taking pictures and then it'll just be kind of surreal. Yeah, no, it's very exciting. I think recipes, recipes and cooking, when you make things from scratch, I feel like it's a, it, it connects, food connects us in a way as a culture and just with friends and family and just even people that you don't even need when, when, or know beforehand, but when you share food together or prepare food together, there's a connection that just crosses all boundaries. That's really special. So yeah. So anyways, we, we've geeked out quite a bit on a lot of things all around eggs today and recipes. But yeah, I'm really excited for for your book to come out. And uh, I think that's great. So thank you so much for coming on today, Lisa. Um, where is the best place? Because we are waiting for the book to come out, obviously. But for now, if people are interested um, in checking out more of stuff, where's the best place for them to connect and follow up with you? Sure. Yeah. My blog, com, And then I'm on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Fresh Eggs Daily. Um, yeah, my book isn't even available for pre-order yet. It obviously will be eventually, but there is a tab on the top of my blog where you can sign up for updates. I will actually be sharing some behind the scenes, you know, photos and videos and stuff that I took because I think that's, you know, fun for people to see how something all comes together. Um, but as far as all the chicken content and all the egg information and all that, um, fresheggsdaily.com. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And I can't wait to see how the rest of the cookbook story evolves and to have it in my hand. So thank you. Thank you, Melissa. You will definitely get a copy. You're on my list. So. Yay. Okay. I was hoping. I'm like, if I lay enough kids, <laughs> then maybe she'll say that. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> of course. Maybe we could even do like some kind of like live cooking together or something when it comes out. That would be fun. Oh, that would be really fun. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Melissa.
Well, I really hope that you enjoyed that interview with Lisa. And for the verse of the week, I thought this one was very appropriate. So it's, I always mispronounce this one too. Hopefully I'm not the only one who mispronounces words in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 11.2. The verse is, invest in seven ventures. Yes and eight. You do not know what disaster may come up on the land. Now that's the NIV translation. What's really interesting is there is a, another translation that actually says, do not put all of your eggs in one basket, which I thought was very appropriate when I was looking at some of the different translations and wanted to share that with you. But not only as far as our egg preservation goes, right, having multiple ways to preserve that, that is something that I try to do with not only our Food. So in all the different methods for home food preservation, not relying on just one, but also as far as our finances go um, and with my business and looking at what we're doing and different ways that we can bring in income, I, you know, diversification, I think, is a is a very good thing in many, many instances. And so I felt that that was a really inappropriate verse and is something that I am continuing to look and ways that we can continue to do that on our homestead. Um, we originally were just raising our grass-fed organic beef. Um, and then we do about every other year we do pork, but the chickens, so we have our laying hens, of course, for eggs, and then we raise meat birds for ourselves. But meat birds were never something that we had raised um, for sale for anybody else in our community. And so that is something that we are now doing. And it's even made me look at other things in areas of our homestead that we can do this with and apply it to, not just income-based, but also just the food that we're producing for ourselves and as well as for others. So that was my verse for the week. Uh, I hope it gives you some food for thought and some ideas to look at that and apply it uh, to your own, own life. And... If you did not, head on over and check out the Preserving Eggs class from our sponsor, which is at mosquenorris.com forward slash eggs. And then for any of the stuff that Lisa and I mentioned for the written blog post, you can grab that at mosquenorris.com forward slash 310. And that's the number 310 because this is episode number 310. Well, I want to thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode. And I can't wait to be here back here with you next week because we've got another really amazing episode coming your way. And it gets us growing more food in the garden in a, a unique way that I have not actually used before. So I'm really excited to break that down. How's that for a teaser? I'll meet you back here next week. Blessings and mason jars for now, my friend. Mm-hmm.